You understand what that dog says? Sure, we all do. Come on, gang. Let's split up. Now, hold on a second there, mister. We're going after some creepy ghost person, and you want us to split up? Well, yeah. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everyone. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour, hopefully. Always like to have you on board with us. And of course, we love to work with the guy at the board, our producer, Nathan Miller of a Saturday. And once again, there he is. Nathan, how are you doing? Good morning and afternoon to you, Gary and Suzanne. Been a couple of weeks since I last talked to you, but great to be back with you. You know, you attended a wedding. Was it yesterday? It was no, last weekend Saturday, that Saturday. when I was gone. Yeah, I, I must apologize because I didn't think of it at the time or I would have given you my sage advice for when you go to a wedding reception. What you get is foil with which to line your pockets. Mm-hmm. And if the food is any good, you can eat two or three days off of what you experienced and tasted there at the reception, but you don't want to soil your garment because who needs a dry cleaning bill? Um, so, and especially if you got anything rented, like a tux that you have to <laughs> give back, so just make sure you line those pockets. You can get shrimp, you can get chicken nuggets in there, maybe even a filet mignon because they're small there. And uh, next time you go to a wedding, just check in with me and I can make sure that you are well situated. Oh man. I wish I had known that because we had some nice smoked brisket catered to us at Ooh. that wedding on a cattle barn ranch a perfect food for that environment ah see glad you had a good time yep yep very good and glad you're back and our best wishes to the happy couple too yeah yeah today speaking of coming back man six time today i believe six times today we are very happy to have with us carl petri carl somebody whose acquaintance we made in 2017 about five years ago and we have been asking him back ever since because he has such fascinating stories to tell. He never runs out of them either. <laughs> and they're authentic. They're based, for the most part, on his own experience, but also his research. He is a deep researcher into metaphysics and to what is casually referred to as the paranormal. But he takes a very serious-minded approach to all of it. Would you like me to read the man as mad props and we'll get I him on air? Please I am do. prepared to do that at this time. Carl Petrie was born with the ability to see and communicate with the dead, the so-called dead, right? Experience visions of the past in everyday surroundings. He can do that, too. And Carl helps people who want to know the fate of loved ones. They want to find lost valuables, perhaps, or simply understand why they are being haunted. Carl believes strongly in living a balanced life, however. That's going to come up in conversation. He is an unassuming person who doesn't flaunt his visions or abilities. Carl cautions fellow experiencers about the dangers of becoming too strongly immersed in the psychic and paranormal realms. Carl stresses the importance of having earthbound interests. Don't ghosts have the same? And activities to keep the gifted anchored in their reality. And that gift, I think, sometimes can turn out to be a burden. You have to know how to manage it. Carl works at that all the time. Carl Petrie, welcome back to the show. Time number six. Well, it's great to be back. I love being on the show. 
You know, when Gary and I were talking and preparing for today, we were talking about the balanced life and how that might be a little bit more difficult if you're able to access other dimensions. We had an audio problem yesterday on air, and I think it would have been like the easy go-to place to say, oh, the ghosts are somehow interfering with everything. And I'll tell you, it almost looked like that for a minute because we rebooted the computer. We did everything we could possibly do. And in the end, our hands were just going up in the air like we don't know what's wrong. It was actually Nathan Miller that figured it out. And it was buried very deeply in our computer when we finally found the culprit to why we weren't being heard. And if I were a, a, a person that had a lot of um, you know psychic ability, I would say, oh, it's paranormal. Oh, it's ghosts. It turned out to be something much more practical than that. So when you're doing your research, left foot, right foot, where do you have a tendency to go? Do you have a tendency to think that something is otherworldly, or do you have a tendency to look at how it might be of this world? Well, when I come across a situation uh, where, let's say, someone is complaining about and from doors opening or, or lights flashing or whatever, the first thing you do is um, rule out anything paranormal. Start going step by step to make sure that, for example, if the lights are flickering, that it's not a bad bulb. It's not a bad switch. It's not a bad socket. Do that. And then if, if it's anything else, let's say like a, the, the curtains are moving. Uh, make sure that there's no problems with the window and the seals around the window. Once you rule out all of that, then you can start to look towards the paranormal. Unfortunately, people go to the paranormal first. Yes. Yeah. And that's really, really wrong. Uh, I was um, a good friend of mine. His name was Professor Roll. He was with the uh, uh uh, with the Georgia, um, he was at a university in Georgia. And he taught us that, you know, during one of his lectures, he said, always look for the for the non-paranormal uh, type of thing. Look at those switches, tape them up, make sure that you check everything before you start bouncing into the paranormal. Because don't forget if how foolish it would be as somebody like me or anyone who's doing paranormal research saying that the flickering lights is uh, an entity or their dead uncle or father or whatever, only to find out that it was a bad switch. It would sort of like make anyone who's making claims like that, it'll make them look kind of foolish and their credibility goes right out the window. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you know how to work with all of that kind of stuff? I mean, I can, I mean, even myself, I could put my hand around a window or, or, or put a feather and, and try and see if there's any, any breeze coming through a window. But when it comes to electricity, are, are you okay with unscrewing those little sockets and seeing what's behind there? Oh, sure. I do a lot of electrical work and I have the necessary meters and, uh, you know, test equipment to make sure that what we have is an actual uh, problem you know, electrical problem or not a problem. And uh, same thing with uh, windows. It doesn't take much to see on a windy day. If you put your hand near the window, you could feel it. 
Or for example, another thing that was very common is people saying, I hear noises. Noises in my walls. And, and then you find out, number one, they have gas-powered um, steam in their house. And the steam causes the pipes in the wall to expand and contract. So that's what's making the noise in the walls. And the minute you, you discover that, you say, well, here is your problem. Or you could have, let's say, a rodent, let's say like a squirrel or something inside your wall. And you could follow it where it's, it's running around through your wall. And you could, that's your problem. That's not an entity. That is a squirrel. And here's what's really crazy about it. When I get called and I discover these, like a bad switch or, or socket or whatever, and I tell the people that your problem is not paranormal, you have a bad switch, they get very sad and they get angry. Oh, why? Because I took away their ghost. Oh. I, I get that. Wow. I really do because wow. it becomes special to you. You stand out amongst those with whom you're willing to share such stories, such information that this thing happened to you. You go from being an experiencer to a guy with a squirrel in the house. <laughs> well, here's, an, here's a perfect example. Uh, you know, my friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley, you know, she was staying at my house. And I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but uh, we got a call. or I got a call asking if I would investigate ghosts that these people had in their home. And it was in a town called Hackettstown, New Jersey. Now, Hackettstown is uh, approximately uh, 60 miles away from where I live. So Rosemary happened to be with me at the time. She was staying at my house. And I said, do you want to go with me? I'm going to do an investigation. <clears throat> she said, sure, let's go. So when these people, I called these people and I says, okay, we're coming down it was like on a Saturday. I said, we'll be down on Saturday, probably right before noon. He goes, okay, let me give you my address. And I said, don't you dare. I don't want your address. He goes, well, what are you going to do? I says, I will call you when I, right before I get to Hackettstown. And then you give me your address. He didn't understand why. And I said, I'll tell you why. Because if I come to your house and I start telling you things, You'll swear that I spent the whole entire night looking on the internet to find out all this information about the house. I said, so if I don't have your address, there's no, that never enters your mind because I can't do it. So yeah. I drove to about 55 miles, five miles from Hackettstown. And I gave him a call on my cell phone. And I said, what is your address? We're only a few miles away. So I went to their house. Well, I looked around the house and there was there were imprints in the house. The house was very, very old. There were imprints. There were imprints of the people who lived there before. I saw what they looked like. Very clear. For me, it's, it's easy to do. Um, I saw a young woman and I was listening to the conversations that they were having at the turn of the last century. And I said, I'm going to start asking you, I'm going to start telling you things. You tell me what I'm actually saying, because I'm going to say it very quickly. And so I hear this conversation. I said, the, the young girl was being prevented from going to a dance. And she said, uh, I have to go because my dance card is filled. And I didn't know what a dance card was. I says, and then I just interrupted myself. And I says, do you know what a dance card is? And Rosemary says, I know what it is. Then it continued. 
And I went through this conversation. And for some reason, they just didn't want her to go to this dance. And then I looked at them and I said, is there a, a university or college or something around here? Because looking at her age, I would figure she's not a high school student. And he said, yes, Centennial College was is here at the time. And at the time of the early 20th century, it was all girls school. And I said, okay. And so we got all that through it. So I gave him all this information. And then I said to the men that were there that who owned the house, I said, want me to tell you where you see your ghost? And he goes, yes. So I walked out of the room. I pointed to a staircase that was going from the first floor to the second floor. I said, you see him right in the middle of the staircase. And he looked at me in shock. He goes, that's where I see him. Now, do you want me to describe him? And he said, yes. And I described him. And he had a beard and the way he was dressed and all that. And he was in shock. He said, that's exactly who I see. So you see him too. And so after I went through the whole house, I said, you don't have any ghosts. What you have are imprints. These are not ghosts. I says, because it keeps playing over and over and over again, like an eight track tape. I says, so that's what you have. And all the information I gave him, he concurred. It was correct. Uh, I told him everything about the house, where the people lived, the whole works. And his reaction was, you're right, you're right. And he says, but I have a ghost. I said, no, you don't. You have imprints. He was so upset that he that I would not confirm that I had go that he had ghosts. He wouldn't even walk us to the door. He probably <laughs> said, like, get out of my house. Now, Rosemary, very vocal about this. We got 10 steps away from, from the, the house and she went into a rant. She goes, there is no way you could have known all this information about the house, about the people who lived there, the things that you were talking about. She goes, but they wanted their blank, blank, blank ghost. She goes, you know what they're doing right now? I says, what? She goes, they're on the phone calling the local ghost group to come over to their house to prove that they have ghosts. I says, yeah, I know. That, that's I expect that. So that gives you an idea of how people are and in their mind, when they want a ghost, they want a ghost. And I'm having a vision of that very conversation. The phone rings. Ring, ring, and the secretary picks up, Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this has happened to me so many times that, um, and I, I really ran down a lot of people's parades, not all the time, but when it's, it's blatant, it's right in front of you that there are no ghosts and how people react to that, how they get very angry and they get angry at me. And, but of course, I don't charge for what I do. So the thing is, I'm not giving their money's worth because I didn't take any money. I just went there, did what I had to do. And then I said goodbye and I walked out the door. So they can't say he's a thief. He didn't give me my ghost. Nothing like that because there was no, nothing exchanged. So that's why I do what I do. Carl, when Gary and I have talked to ufologists, they will say, like you, um, many people from uh, the Mutual UFO Network will say that almost everything can be explained when it comes to ufology. And 
when they do their work, they'll say, and, and it's somewhere in the 90th percentile, you know, like 95 or 98% can all be explained logically about things that are just going on in the sky. And they said, but it's that small percentage that are completely unexplainable that, that they think are real. When you're working with that, what, what percentage do you think is easily explainable and, and maybe what percentage is actually real? I would say that if I had to give it a percentage, I would say that 90% of the things I investigate could be explained. And it's the 10% that are so interesting. Right. But that, that but that's not mostly what people have. I mean, mostly people have things that can be explained. Pipes, water pipes and 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 air conditioning heating pipes and you know, all that kind of stuff that makes noise. I remember, you know, we had a house where uh, back in Illinois, where the heat ducts would actually make a booming sound when they were either expanding or contracting, and you'd hear this boom. And nobody ever said it's a ghost. We just all knew it was the heating ducts that were making a noise. And and so, you know, I wonder, as Gary said, do people want to be haunted in order to be special? Yes, they do. There's so many of them. And of course, um, there are sometimes, and I got to watch myself, when I'm with people that I don't know, and I start saying things, you see, and this is, this is a problem that I have. When I start seeing things, I, like my mouth goes on auto, autopilot, and it starts to talk, and I forget who's around me, and I just say it. And I don't, you know, couch things in a certain you don't filter. way. Yeah. There's no filter, and I just come out and say it. Yeah. And because it's coming to me so quick mm-hmm. that I have no time to start playing word games. So I just say it. And uh, I, I may have mentioned to you this before about the woman that I actually sent to the hospital before because of what I said. Um, I was invited to a, a party. And it was an older house. And the woman that, you know, that invited me she knew about what I, I could do. And so we were in a house and I didn't know the people. I just stayed in the corner and I was nursing a drink, watching, watching everybody having a great time. Now, as I was there, I could see from years ago, a man that was coming into the front door. He would walk through the living room, take his hat off and put it into the closet on a hook. And this would repeat over and over and over again. I just kept quiet. Nobody's asking me anything. I just kept quiet. Then I looked in the living room and I saw it probably took place in the 1940s where a young boy fell out the window and he, uh, he grabbed the drapes that were on the windows and he was bleeding from his arms and the blood went all over the drapes and he fell out the window. I was the first floor. So I saw this once again, kept my mouth shut. This is only something I'm looking at. So finally, uh, the woman that was running the party, she said to me, Carl, I want you to meet the landlord. She has lived in this house 
uh, since she was born. She was born, you know, she lived upstairs and then later on they moved downstairs and all this. She goes, and I told him what you could do, which I wish she didn't do. But anyway, she said, can you tell her things about, about the house that you see? And I said, well, I see a man coming in. He takes his hat off every single day and he puts the hat on the hook inside the closet. So she said, that was my father. Every single day he would come in, walk through the living room, take his hat off and put it in the closet on the hook. I said, okay. And I says, but I saw something probably back in the forties where a boy was sitting on the, on the, near the window. I says, he fell out the window and he went crash through the windows, grabbing these green drapes. And I said, and then there was blood coming from his arms. So she snapped to it and she said, I know that that's, you know, fat Charlie, you know, he's a friend of ours and he fell through the window and my mother just put up those drapes and there was blood all through it. And she was so mad at what he did. She couldn't care about how, how he was bleeding or anything. She worried about her drapes. So I said, so, uh, all right, well, and then she says, boy, she says, this is amazing that you could do this. I says, well, just something we do. She goes, can you come upstairs and go through my apartment and tell me what you see up there? Now, all the people in the party have stopped doing what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, well, all right. So I went upstairs and I, I got into her. Walked to her kitchen and I went to the one bedroom and I said, this is where your father and mother slept. And I said, there's a, uh, a little, like a basket where a baby was. She's that's where my room was with them when I first was born. Then I walked around. I said, there's another room. And I said, a boy's lived in here. A boy lived in here. She says, my brother, that was his room. And I said, oh, by the way, I says, your parents couldn't speak English. They spoke German. She goes, Yes, they, that was it. They couldn't speak English. They were German. I says, okay. So we're going through it. And she said, this is amazing. And I said, you're, and I explained to him what was in each room in the way of furniture, whatever. She thought it was great. And so I says, okay, and I'm ready to inch myself back down the stairs to go to the first floor. And we got to the kitchen. And then I said, um, oh, your mother's favorite color was yellow. And the, from her face, the smile went away. And she goes, what do you mean by that? I said, oh, it was an Easter, and your mother had a yellow dress on, and she had a big brim hat, and she took her arm and she put it onto the wall of the kitchen because she was putting on shoes. And she goes, look, the color of the wall is the same color as my dress, and yellow is my favorite color. Then she looked at me almost with fear in her eyes. And she said, how did you know that? Who told you that? I said, well, nobody told me that. I just, I heard it. I could see her doing it. She goes, who told you? She started to scream. Who told you? Who told you? I said, nobody told me. You asked me to come up here and I'm telling you what I say. And then she's screaming. And then all the people on the first floor the party stopped, the music stopped, and there was all pe- dead silence on the first floor where the party was. And what happened was that she started to scream. She was screaming, who told you this? So I went down the stairs and I said to the woman, I said, uh, who's running the party, I said, your landlord's having a tough time up there. I says, 
I, I don't know what I said to set her off. So then a woman comes down halfway down the stairs with a picture of, of in a frame of her mother and her father. And she's holding it and she's waving it back and forth. And she's saying, I don't know how he knows this. I don't know how he knows this. He's, I, I don't know. This, this is crazy. This is wild. So they're all, everybody in the party, now they start wanting to get out of the party and get out of the building. So I apologize. I don't know what I did. But whatever I did, I'm sorry for it. And the next thing I know is the woman has some sort of a breakdown. They had to send for an ambulance to take her away. Wow. All wow. Well, you didn't do that to her. She did that to herself. Carl, you need to sign liability waivers with these people before you go upstairs. I know. Here's the go ahead. Yes, please finish. My wife tells me when these things happen, she, she's like my guardian angel. And she says, stop. Don't say anything. And because, you know, for me, it's just like a conversation like I'm having with you. Uh, right. And I said, oh, is, isn't that wild the way this thing looks? And I'll just happen to pop up and say something. And she'll say, no, no, don't say anything. Because she knows the effect that it has. Yeah. Here's how I would like to, to finish that story. Too bad it would be fictional. Carl had everybody upstairs. They were so concerned. They heard the screams. They all ran up to the apartment. There was nobody left downstairs. And after a moment, faintly, they heard the music start again. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking with Carl Petrie. Much more to get to, including what may or may not reportedly, supposedly be going on at your local Masonic Hall. For a prime example, haunted places that seem to attract more than their share of ghostly activity. Carl Petrie is with us. He has stories, and he'll tell them to the 32nd degree when we get back on this episode of Manson Mitchell. You are tuned into the epicenter of all these spooky things in Seattle, AM 1150. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at 
terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed comedian Hank Garrett, who will reminisce about his good friends Larry Storch and James Kahn, talking about when comedy was funny. On Saturday, Mary Beckman joins us for another hour of metaphysical Q&A about healing and the unseen dimensions of our universe. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest for the sixth time, Carl Petrie from New Jersey. And um, Carl, if people would like to get your books or connect with you, tell us about your books, what you have going and your website or anything else that you would like to share with our listeners. Well, they could go on Amazon and they could uh, just check my name and you could see the books, the two books that are available. One is The Absent Witness and the other one is Somewhere the Dead are Singing. I'm going to spell your name. Carl is K-A-R-L and Petri is P-E-T-R-Y. Carl Petri, Somewhere the Dead are Singing. There was a show that they had the surname. The family's last name was Petri. It's a popular uh, Laura show. Laura and in the Rob. Six- oh, oh, Rob! <laughs> we'll see a little richie out of this okay yeah, carl's looking into that yes yes the petries now it's interesting i'm looking into your bedroom what do you got two beds in there for <laughs> it's called tv censorship that's right all right well excellent well thank you let's talk haunted places gary Masonic lodges. Now, why in God's name would there be spirit activity in these places? I understand that there was a sacred metaphysical purpose, a code of conduct, a tradition of beliefs and practices. So, Carl, in a place like that, did it surprise you at all that you would have the weight, the volume of stories regarding spirit spirit activity, ghost research to be done in these special places? Well, I never knew about this until I became a Freemason. And when I first became a Freemason, uh, they asked me if I wanted to be a historian for the lodge. So I said, sure, because I love history and I, that's sort of like my thing. And I said, sure, I'll be a historian. So when you're a historian at a Masonic lodge, you're right next to the, to the Mason in charge. Like we call him a worshipful master. And so I sit to his right. He's elevated. I'm on the floor to his right. So here I am, brand new guy. Um, People don't know me. They they don't even know my name. Here I am sitting and um, we're having our first meeting. As we're having our first meeting, I'm looking at the audience and I'm looking at there are two doors that when you enter a, a Masonic room where we have our meetings and I see a ghost walking in. Now I'm a brand new member. You think by any chance I'm going to say, Hey, everybody, there's a ghost that's walking through the door. <laughs> I don't, don't think so. Me. They'll think <laughs> we put in a psycho into our midst, you know? Yeah. So now I, I kept that quiet and I'm just looking and this this entity walks over to our, um, the, the master of the lodge, his name is Mark Turgraf, and he walks over to him. He gives the necessary 
signs that Masons give. And he, he said, Mark, Mark, how come you're not talking to me? Mark, you can't see it. I do. Now, I'm looking at this and saying, I feel really sick about this because I see him. I hear him. He's doing all this, but I better keep my mouth shut because these people don't know me. Let it go. And so when Mark did not answer him, he turned around and walked out the door. Kept my mouth shut. I figured maybe it's, it only happened once. Well, the next meeting, which was two weeks later, I'm sitting in the same seat, hoping that this thing doesn't happen again. But I was wrong. He walks through the door again. And he walks up and does the same thing. He's really annoyed because the worshipful master is not recognizing him and talking to him. So this time, after the meeting was over, I approached Mark. And I said to him, let me tell you something about my personality, things that I could do. And I told him about it. Of course, you can imagine, he probably thought, we really have a wacko here. So I figured that was the end of it. But what happened is that he contacted me with a picture, a large picture of all the officers that were in this lodge for years. And he goes, do you see his picture? Uh, do you see who this man you're talking about? Is he in this picture? So I looked at it and I pointed to this one man. I said, that's him. And he goes, he died. He froze to death. He uh, had dementia. He had problems and he was looking for his cat and it was a snowstorm. And he walked outside. He slipped and he slid underneath his car where he froze to death. And so now we know who it was. Now, he was a good friend of Mark's, and so that would explain why he wanted to reach him and talk to him. Well, that wasn't the end of it. What happened is that it, Mark was curious to see if, if we could go there sometime, just the two of us, Mark and, and, and me, and maybe we could contact him and maybe he'll come through again. And this way I will talk and I'll say what the man is saying. So I told Mark to sit in the seat that he normally does and then start calling his name out. And I was on the floor, the center of the floor, and he started calling his name, calling his name. And then I looked, he walked through the door, but it was different this time. This time, anyone could see him, not just me. Wow. So then what I did is Mark was looking at one of the walls and he was looking at some of the murals that we had on the top and I started waving my arms. So he, he saw that I was standing, you know, that something was happening and he looked at me and I just, with my finger, I pointed to, to Mr. Reynolds who just walked in through the doors and I pointed to him and Mark was very like surprised and he stopped talking. He says, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. So he came down off of the stairs walked to the center of the room where this Ed Reynolds was standing. And all of a sudden he went, poof, he just disappeared. Mark said, I am a believer because I got to see him. I saw him. So anytime that after that, anytime that I spoke at the lodge, whatever, discussing the paranormal, Mark would always say, you know, when people say, well, I don't know about that. Mark would say, I believe what he says. I was there and I saw it. 
you know, so that was great for me. But it goes to show you that, you know, this actually happened at a Masonic Lodge. So that was my first introduction to being a Mason and having a ghost at a lodge. So what I did is I went online and I Googled haunted Masonic lodges. And the list started to come out of all these lodges that were haunted. So what I did is I wanted to know why. Why was the Masonic lodges that were being haunted? Well, I started asking a lot of people, a lot of experts. And what it comes down to is that in masonry, we have rituals. The rituals we do are the same thing that has been done for hundreds of years. The words that we say are written in the book and we can't deviate from it. They are the same exact words that my grandfather would say, or my great grandfather would say, my grandfather would say, my father would say, and I say, and then my son would say, because they don't deviate. The way you walk around the room during these rituals, it's the same pattern. You have to walk up and down the same path. You have to do the same things over and over again. So in my investigation with this, I find, found that it wasn't only the Masons that were having this thing. It was also tribes in Africa where they had rituals that went on for generations and generations. And they said at these tribal meetings, ghosts would appear. So the way I look at it is that when somebody passes and they were a hardcore member of either the tribe or the, the Mason movement, whatever, that to them, this is normal. They do go back to the same place. This is the house that they lived in for, for maybe decades. And so instead of going, moving on to somewhere else, they keep moving back to where they do their rituals. And they are there. And that's why Masonic, uh, Masonic lodges have this haunting that goes on. And uh, I've been to other lodges who claim to have the same problem. And I could see it. There's a lodge that's maybe about a mile away from the existing lodge that I belong to. And I walk in there and I, cause I could see things from the past and I just stand back and they go, what do you see? And I start describing what the men look like, how they're dressed. And I said, look, they're all wearing gloves because this dates back to about 1920, 1919, somewhere about there. I'm describing everything. So for me, it's really simple, and it also tells people, if you're doing ghost investigations, if you want to know where they're at, look for a lodge that's been around for a long time. Don't go to one that was just opened. Go to one that's been around for, let's say, 100 years or 80 years, because there are members that were a part of that lodge who passed on, who may be coming right back to that lodge, doing the same meetings of things over and over again. My guess is that, and I'm just speculating here, Carl, some of this would have to do with the practices of Freemasonry and the fact that it is methodical, it is scientific in its way, right. and also is open to the spiritual dimension of life. So if you were going to haunt a building, if you were still feeling earthbound to whatever extent or felt free to return to your former digs, you might do that with the sense of kinship and spiritual devotion that motivated you to spend all those years being a Freemason. 
Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. That's very, very true. And if you were a member, uh, if you were a Freemason, you would see that everything you said was true. That, you know, we have a code that we live by. And that um, there's things you say, things you don't say. And um, also, once again, getting back to those rituals. The rituals are very, very important. You must follow those rituals. And if you want to go up in some ranks, whatever, you're tested. They're tested to see if you could memorize everything verbatim, where you don't even exchange one word for another. It has to be exactly 100%, which is, to me, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not that gifted. But other people, they could read, they could recite page after page after page without even looking at a piece of paper, and it's exact to the letter. Even at a, a Masonic funeral uh, funeral service, if you go to a funeral parlor, uh, if it's a Masonic person that passed away, they'll have someone there that will speak for, I don't know how many pages, it's got to be like 10 pages of talking about everything to the ninth degree. I mean, everything that you wanted to know they say it. It's a beautiful cer ceremony, but they have it in their mind. They memorized it. So going back to what we were saying before, a pa person passes away and everything is done to the letter. That means that if it's a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night that they have their meetings, it's going to be a Tuesday night or Wednesday night that this entity is going to show up at that lodge or he's going to be activated at that lodge. So if people are looking for ghostly things or ghost you know ghost if you could get permission good place to start off is at that masonic lodge and you found out by looking on the internet that this is quite common not yes. not uncommon very when, common when you talk about the um the masons and the freemasonry that's been a, around for thousands of years hundreds if not thousands right. <clears throat> and the same thing with some religions. So can you also um, e extrapolate from that haunted churches from people who have been, uh, not everybody who went to the church, but maybe certain people who were extremely devoted to a church and to the teachings of a church? Well, I was called once to a Catholic church where a priest confided in me and he said that he had the first mass, which I believe was six o'clock in the morning. And he said that as he's doing his, his priestly thing for the mass, he notices that there's somebody sitting in the first row. And he says, and I see them. And as I turn my back and I look back again, they're not there. I start doing the next thing that I have to do in the mass. And then they're there. And then they, they disappear. And he goes, this is bad because he goes, if somebody's looking at that person and they disappear and then they appear, we're going to have a problem in the church. And so I went there and I looked at the church and I, I said, don't tell me anything. I will tell you. So he goes, okay, this is the church. So I looked around and I walked up to the seat and I pointed my finger down. And I said, this is where he, I said, this is where he sits. And he goes, it is a he. I says, I know. And I says, this is where you see him. He goes, that's true. 
And then I, I felt this energy around it. And I said, he had a, a severe death in his family. His son or something died horribly. And he goes, after I described him, he says, I know who he is. And I described about how this man was feeling. And he said, you're right. His son died in a horrible car crash. I said, if you somehow have a mass and you make mention of this special prayers or something, maybe that will take care of the problem. He goes, that's a very, very good idea. And he goes, thank you very much. And I walked out the door. That was it. I had, he never called me back. So I guess it worked, whatever he did. Hmm. I wanted to ask you, Carl, about, and I'm going to go back here to uh, what I read there when we were introducing you, this idea of uh, Carl stresses the importance of having earthbound interests. And that's great advice for anyone. I'm glad that is a part of who you are, Carl, and how you represent yourself in the world. These spirits, these ghosts themselves, how do you explain that a spirit that has been liberated from the limitations of the body and the pain of disease, all that goes with what it is to be mortal in the flesh, once that is let go, it fascinates me that there are spirits that still have earthbound interests and will go to the trouble, frankly, of representing themselves, of appearing with all of the mechanics that are required. It would challenge a Freemason, <laughs> all the stuff you would seemingly have to go through to make an appearance to a loved one, a stranger, to say, hey, I'm here. I'm still relevant. It seems like a lot of work to go to for people who now have access directly to the spiritual realm, the other side, and yet return to tell us, I exist. There's more to this life. It's real. You can see me and I can see you. That's what fascinates me about this whole business. Right. Well, the thing is that, you know, the reason why some stay and some don't move on is something I don't understand. I have no answer for that. But they are, the, they do appear. And um, that's, a, that's a genuine fact. They're here. Uh, it seems like, I guess maybe like a cliche, unfinished business. Well, I don't really believe that. It's just their luck of the draw or whatever that they have not moved on yet, or they're too stubborn to move on. They don't want to move on. They just want to hang around to see what's happening and uh, see maybe their family growing up or places that they live, the changes and all that. That's the only thing I could figure out, but you know why they're actually here and they don't move on. I have no idea. You think there's more attachments to people or places, or is it just, you know, right across the board, both? A little bit of both, you know, places and, and, uh, um, and family and friends and all that. And there's a lot of sadness that I, I get from these people. They're very sad when they see things that they had uh, change. Uh, for example, uh, I got called to a town called Hawthorne, New Jersey. And a man just got married and he bought a house and he was upgrading it. it was, the house needed, you know, new electrical service and walls had to be, you know, knocked down because they were all cracked. They were plaster. And I got called. They said, because at night when they're trying to sleep, his wife is having these visions of this woman walking around and she goes, I'm afraid. And if it doesn't, and soon she goes, I'm going to leave this house. 
So he said, I heard about you. So would you come down and, and tell me what's going on? So I went there and I looked around the first floor and I said, and your bedroom's on the second floor. And he goes, second floor. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Stay down here. Do not follow me. Let me go upstairs alone. So I went upstairs and I, I started walking through the rooms and I saw a woman sitting with a blue dress on, an older woman. And I looked at her and she said, um, why are these people here? Why are they in my house? And why are they causing all this damage? They're breaking my walls. They're doing, they're doing bad things here. Why are they doing it? And she was an entity. She was a ghost. And so I'm sure on the first floor, they heard my conversation, one-sided, of course. And I'm, I'm there. They have to upgrade the house. I said, because in time, we need more electricity and other things that are part of the modern age. And then she said, oh, she goes, I, I don't I didn't know that. And she said, you know, I, I had this house and I lived here with my son and he uh, he worked on a radio station on Route 202. And she, she says he had a really good job there. And she's telling me all this stuff. And they're like, yes, yes. So she found somebody she could talk to. So I'm upstairs. I don't know for how long. And she's just giving me all this information. My son worked at the radio station and I lived here since 1955. And she's going on and on and on and on. And so I says, well, you have to leave them alone. You know, don't bother to see them at night. Let them be. They're just trying to make your place better. And she so she went, oh, okay. And I turned around. And I walked down the stairs and I told these people about what she was saying. Even the fact that her son worked at this radio station on Route 202, all this information. And they went like, yeah, thanks a lot for stopping by. They were happy that I did it. And I says, hopefully she's not going to bother you anymore. So when I left, the man in the house, he went next door because he knew that these people were there since, I don't know, since the 40s. And he went there and he started talking to these people. And he goes, do you remember the lady that lived in this house? And the man says, oh, yeah, she lived there with her son. By the way, do you know the son was, uh, he worked at a radio station on Route 202. And he started telling him everything that I told him that this entity, this ghost was telling me. So uh, that amazed him. And it ended all the problems. And it also, for me, it was a, it's a period at the end of the sentence. That means I knew what was going on. I identified the problem. And hopefully look like I solved the problem. And that entity has never been back and never bothered those people again. Hmm. Do you think the entity is still there and just not bothering them? Or do you think the entity actually did something like they say on TV going into the light? I believe it crossed over. Like once okay. it, it was given all the information about what was happening, it just moved on. Okay. And it, and, when, I, yeah. when I think about all the places that I've lived, and there haven't been that many, but when I think about my childhood home, my teenage home, various places I've been, some of those places really didn't mean a lot to me. The, the first condominium that I purchased, I was there for a year and a half. And, you know, it doesn't really mean a lot to me. Um, uh, an apartment that I lived in, 
Oh, so it was fine. You know, nothing special about it. But then there are places that I've lived that seem to have a piece of my heart still there. Right. And so I would, I would guess that if I wanted to hang around, I wouldn't bother with the apartment. I wouldn't bother with the condo. There's things that, you know, it's like I shrug my shoulders, who cares? But there might be places that I would like to see places I would like to, what, what's happening with that house now? And, and so it, it's interesting that you, you have a love for certain places and other places you don't really care about. Does that make sense that you would Absolutely. just, you just go and, and, and visit the places that you have some heartfelt connection to? Well, you take, let's say uh, a young couple that let's say they first get married, whatever, and they're saving up for their first home. And maybe it's not the best home in the world, but they saved all their money for it. And they finally got this house and they were fixing it up, whatever. And it's now their, their perfect place to live. But later on, they decide to move somewhere else. Well, yeah, they may move somewhere else, but their heart is in that first place that they bought that they worked so hard to buy and that they fixed it up the way they wanted to. And even though the new place is nicer, whatever, in their heart, they're going to say, gee, I remember buying that first house. And they have all the memories of what they had to give up in order to have it. Yeah, and there's so a lot of they, emotion, a lot oh, of emotion sure. associated with it. And, and it goes for cars or anything else. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I can understand having an emotion about a place. It was funny when when Gary and I were uh, living together in the Seattle area, I I said to him, when we move out, and, and that's when we moved to Florida, I said, whoever comes in here next is going to be very lucky because there's a lot of good energy that we're leaving here. A lot of good, loving energy. And, um, you know, hopefully they they felt that. Well, I've walked into homes where it's like, this is a bad home, bad vibes here. I don't like this home and I can't wait to get out of it. And there's other homes where I feel really comfortable. So everything you're saying is true. Good, Good vibes and bad vibes. Yep. We represent good vibes. On Manson Mitchell, especially <laughs> when Carl Petri joins us. Carl, thank you so much for being part of our show again today. Visit number seven will come along sooner rather than later. We always love to have you join us. Uh, love being here. You you both are fantastic. Oh, thanks, Carl. Back at you. Back at you. <laughs> and join us next Friday. We'll do it all over again. Absolutely. In the meantime, everyone, have yourselves a great weekend and stay tuned whenever possible to AM 1150, your home for all kinds of good conversation in Seattle.